Welcome to Healing Voices Project, where we share stories of addiction, grief, recovery, and courage. And also from people who work every day in the field of substance abuse who discuss their experiences and advice. I'm Mike Torville, your host. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us back again on Healing Voices Project. Uh, we have another guest today. Actually, it's, he, he is a repeat guest. His name is Keith Notek, and Keith has been with us last spring, uh, or actually it was last winter. It was a year ago almost, um, but a lot of things have changed. So this is why I thought it was well worth a, a revisit with Keith. He's got a lot of things going on. Keith is a retired police officer, actually retired police commander after 30 years in the service in the police force in Arizona or California. Was it Keith? Correct. California. California. Um, And in 2015, Keith retired. But during that 30 years, he had an incredible journey of um, things that uh, led him to, to all kinds of things that he's doing now that he never expected to occur in his life. Um, so thanks for joining us, Keith. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me again, Mike. Sure. Always good talking with you. Um, well, you know, I said you had a lot of things going on and that's an understatement because, um, after you retired in 2015, after 30 years in the police force, uh, you went through some, some things, um, that we'll talk about, but it led to you writing a book called From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, One Cop's Journey. And that book, which is available on Amazon, I recommend it highly, led to a movie called One Cop's Journey um, that talks about your experiences as a police officer. Um, Then again, that led to another book called Gunrunner, which you just published about six months ago. Yeah, it was released in May. Mm -hmm. In May. Okay, we're getting up on six months. So that's great. Congratulations. And I read it. It's fantastic. Thank you. Sure. Um, well, so again, I, I know Keith, you're, you're, you're a husband, you're a father, retired police officer, um, author, movie producer, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> um, you have yet to put actor on your list. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. And hopefully I'll leave that one off. Um, uh, I don't like being in the spotlight. I really, I really don't. It's, it's not my, it's not in my wheelhouse. So. Oh, yeah. You've got enough to do, right? Although if you look in one cop's journey, um, I'm in there for about a half a second. Um, and if you blink, you'll miss me, but I'm in a police uniform and I'm, I am pinning the badge on the character Tim Ross, that's supposed to be me in the mm-hmm. film. I'm promoting him to sergeant and I'm I'm pinning his badge on. And well, that's cool. A quick pan and a flash and then it moves on. So <laughs> did you do a freeze frame? <laughs> frame yeah, that? I, I did do a freeze frame because a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you do a cameo? I'm like, well, I did, but if you blink, you'll miss me. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, still it's fun to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, you know, last year, and we'll we'll talk about the book. Um, from sorrow to amazing grace and the movie one cop's journey but 
prior to that, and I think there's a lot of people listening who who don't know your story. So if you'd like to to share, you know, what what occurred as you were a police officer, how things progressed, and then sure. of course ultimately what what led to where you are today. Sure. I'll go, I'll try, you know, I'll try to go pretty quick because we can spend a lot of time and just that alone. And yeah, so I'll give you the reader's digest version. And I don't even know if, you know, 20, 30 something year old kids know what reader's digest is today, but good we'll, point. We'll, 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 we'll try for short. So yeah, yeah. Um, I was um, raised in a normal uh, loving Christian family home. Um, my, my dad was a pastor. Um, my, my parents are both deceased now. Uh, but my dad was a, a pastor, Christian pastor. My mom was a stay at home mom. And, uh, when I was about 10 years old, uh, mom went back into the workforce and, uh, she was the, the cafeteria lady, um, at one of the local public schools, uh, in my community. Uh, but, um, you know, it was a good childhood. Uh, grew up in a great town, Huntington Beach, California, uh, also known as Surf City, USA. So, um, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, I, you could see me riding my my bicycle down one of the main drags with one hand on the handlebars and with a surfboard in my my other arm. Hmm. Um, grew up learning how to surf and you know by the beach and and all of that, which is why I have the uh, the basal cell issues on my face now, probably that contributed to, you know, yeah. You didn't wear a hat much back then though. Right. Yeah. Well, back then we didn't, uh, we didn't (laughs) put sunscreen on. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if sunscreen wasn't around. You just cooked yourself. That's right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I started watching TV shows, Adam 12 and, and whatever was around at the time and developed a real uh, interest in law enforcement as a kid. Uh, and when I was about 16 years old, I joined our local police explorer program at Huntington Beach PD, uh, the town that I lived in, started doing ride alongs with the officers. And I thought, man, this is what I want to do. It looks like a lot of fun, you know? Uh, so I got, these guys get to see things that, that, you know, regular people don't see. Um, and then of course there's the, the adrenaline and the excitement. And, you know, of course there's, you know, uh, moments of, of pure boredom too. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, so I did the, uh, explore thing. And then when I graduated high school, I was hired as a police cadet, which was a paid position uh, at Huntington Beach PD. I worked at the front desk. I worked in the city jail. I worked in our traffic bureau, um, going to traffic collisions and directing traffic and doing parking enforcement. And, uh, and then they sent me to the academy and at the ripe old age of 21, voila, you know, I got sworn in mm-hmm. as a police officer and started my law enforcement career. Um, I did it for 30 years. I worked for multiple agencies in California in, in different positions. Most of my experience was uh, where the rubber meets the road out on the streets as a either a patrol officer or deputy uh, and as a patrol supervisor. 
Um, I was involved in some horrific incidents um, in 1997. Um, I was involved in a gun battle of a domestic violence suspect. And, um, and I was a brand new supervisor. I had only been a sergeant for about six months. And um, <clears throat> one of my deputies, Randy Jennings, was uh, killed in the line of duty, shot and killed um, in that incident. Um, I was, as they say, the, the lone survivor of that particular foot pursuit gone wrong. And, um, you know, I had survivor's guilt. And then, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, I was involved in a few more critical incidents, uh, officer-involved shootings, um, stuff like that. And, you know, it, it may look really easy on TV, um, you know, the guys, they, they get in a shooting and then they're back at work the next day. You know, yeah. um, it's not that simple. When you see your your own life flash before your very eyes um, and, and you think that, you know, you're going to die, you're not going to go home to your family at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a real mind bend. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, actually having to use lethal force on an individual, you know, I don't think anyone ever goes into law enforcement, you know, hoping that they can be involved in a shooting, you know, and, and, and pull that trigger. We do a lot of training for uh, how to stay safe um, in a shooting, um, you know, cover, concealment, things like that, um, and maybe de-escalating so that you don't get into um, a lethal force situation, but we don't spend a lot of time uh, training about the aftermath. What happens after you pull the trigger? What happens when you're involved in one of these critical incidents? Mm. Um, because there's a lot of, um, at least in my case, uh, you know, and, and others, but I'll just speak for myself, a lot of mental anguish and emotional trauma that went along with these incidents. Um, you know, I mean, I've been to murder suicides and I've seen entire families, you know, husband and wife um, and, and, and children wiped out um, by the father um, and, you know, uh, dead kids. And it really, it weighs on a person. If a person is empathetic in any way and can sympathize with, you know, the human condition or humanity, um, there's going to be some emotional damage. So I was damaged. <laughs> Um, throughout my career, um, had some personal uh, trauma as well, you know, health concerns with my wife. Um, and one of my best friends that I grew up with came over to my house and uh, he was going through a divorce. He actually spent the night at my house. And while I was at work, I was working the graveyard shift. I came home and found him deceased in my guest bedroom. Um, so, yeah, so personal and professional trauma, I guess we can, that sums up my my adult life. <clears throat> wow. And then uh, uh, after retirement, um, you know, uh, friends of mine started dying off and they weren't that old. Um, dying off, meaning, meaning in the line of duty or? No, uh, no, actually, well, actually, um, one of my deputies, at Riverside County, his wife was a Palm Springs police officer. Um, she had just returned uh, back to work 
uh, after maternity leave. Uh, they were a young family just starting out. And she went to a domestic, domestic violence call with another Palm Springs PD officer and they were both murdered. They were both shot and killed in the doorway uh, of this, this house in Palm Springs. So that was traumatic, even though I wasn't there. Um, when you know somebody that's murdered like that, um, at least in my case, it opened up all the old wounds again. Of course, yeah. And that incident happened in 2016. You know, fast forward two years later, my father died six months after that. My father-in-law died totally unexpectedly, totally just out of the blue. He took ill and, and they couldn't diagnose him. And within a month, he was gone. Uh, and then, uh, another good friend of mine who was a mentor, he, uh, passed away. So I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around all of that. Um, so I reached for the old, the old medication, uh, uh alcohol. I reached for the bottle and, um, uh, you know, alcohol is legal. Um, in, you know, many cases it's socially acceptable it's uh, economical, um, and, and you know, you go to the store, you buy a bottle, and you know, end the story. It, it numbs the pain. So I, I hit the bottle, got in a car, drove, crashed my car into the back of uh, another vehicle. Now, Keith, was this while you were a police officer? No, this was after the fact. Uh, okay. uh, this was in May, May, May of 2019. Okay. And that was kind of my wake-up call. That was my, you know, literally my come to Jesus moment. Well, what happened going back? What happened with the accident? You were you were drinking, um, you hit another vehicle. Yes. Rear-ended it, injured uh three people, uh, two of them seriously. Um, they went two people went to the hospital. Um, I went through the, you know, the legal adjudication process um you know it was just it was a nightmare it was a nightmare but that's what it took for a, a hard-headed guy like me to finally realize that i need i need help i can't do this on my own i need to pay attention to um my own mental health and well-being um i need to practice resiliency um i didn't really have the skill set at the time um, because wh when I went into law enforcement in the mid 80s it was uh, not cool to you know seek mental health counseling after some of these critical incidents mm -hmm. uh, you know we were viewed as weak if we did so right so I just sucked it up that was the mentality press on you know handle the mission first uh, and and press on you know don't admit your weakness up. right yeah right so, so the alcohol was my medication and, you know, as soon as you start using alcohol and, and out of a social setting and start abusing it and using it as some sort of a medication to dull the, the mental pain or emotional pain, you know, you have a problem. So I recognized that, um, and, uh, started, you know, uh, going to AA, got a sponsor, I got some mental health counseling. I went through uh, EMDR therapy um, for the trauma, which 
It's an acronym for eye movement uh, reprocessing desensitization or yeah, EMDR, something like that. Anyway, uh, you know, started practicing the four pillars of resilience, which is uh, paying attention to your mental, spiritual, physical, and social health, your well-being. Uh, when one of those pillars, when you start uh, neglecting one of those pillars, it spills over and it affects the other pillars of resilience in your life. Um, and then you start having issues. So I learned about resiliency. I took some classes. Um, I wrote my first book, From Sorrow to Amazing Grace, which essentially chronicled my life before, during, and after law enforcement. Um, and it is a testament to, um, you know, my Christian faith and practicing resiliency, uh, basically doing a holistic approach to mental well-being. So that's what I started focusing on. Um, I started doing um, talks, which turned into training sessions with uh, some local law enforcement agencies. Um, I uh, developed, I actually revamped a curriculum uh, at a, a class up at one of the state universities here in Arizona uh, called Psychological Survival for Law Enforcement. Um, I um, increased the curriculum from a two-hour training session to an eight-hour all-day training session and uh, had the support of the program director up at the university to do that. So I teach up there um, once a semester and um, you know, I mean, you said it, you know, I helped write the screenplay for a movie and, and you know, uh, co-produced it with Jason Campbell and um, wrote another book, Gunrunner, which is amazing. It's an amazing true story about a, a Boston area police officer and his trauma surgeon. It's it's just it's incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I stay busy. I stay pretty busy. You know, yep. I do podcasts and radio interviews. I do a lot of volunteer work. Um, yeah. So life is good today. Well, that's great. And I know, uh, as of just recently with just a few years ago, and again, at that time after the accident, um, and you had to, as you said, it, it hit you where you knew you had to stop. Did you seek out help through a rehab center or uh, just do it on your own? I I had been in AA prior to, mm -hmm. but the, the cunning, baffling, and powerful part of alcohol addiction is, um, you know, once you stop drinking for a while, um, you think you have it licked. It's like, oh, I got this. You know, I haven't drank in over a year. It's like, I don't have to go to AA. I don't have to talk to a sponsor. You know, I don't have to practice the principles of, of AA in my daily life um, because I haven't taken a drink. Well, once you stop doing that and something traumatic happens in, in your life, at least in my case, um, you're going to reach for the bottle again. So these are things you have to practice on a daily basis. Um, so I got 
back into AA full swing, um, you know, reconnected with my sponsor, uh, worked with him, um, went to the meetings and uh, started practicing the principles of AA. You know, AA is a very spiritual program. They say that, you know, even an atheist can be an AA member, but you have to believe in a power higher than yourself. Well, because of my Judeo-Christian upbringing, it was very easy for me to grasp that concept. I already had that foundational basis mm-hmm. from growing up in a Christian home. So it's like, yeah, I believe in a loving God, you know, already. So um, the spiritual part of the program was really easy for me to comprehend and, and to embrace right off the bat. Uh, so I did AA, I, you know, I did talk therapy. I mentioned EMDR uh, before. Um, and, uh, you know, I got uh, put on a low dose of, of medication for the anxiety and PTSD. And, um, you know, I feel great. I feel better today. I mean, I'm almost 58 years old and I feel better today than I did when I was in my 40s wow. mentally and physically. So, well, one of those things is what you're not doing today that you did back then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and I think the thing that when you're, when you're saying, and you said it pretty clearly, you can't just take for granted and get this false confidence to say, I'm, I'm good now. And I think that happens very commonly. It does. Yeah. It does. I've seen it in, in the, you know, in the three and a half years that I've been in the program, you know, that I've been committed to the program, I've seen people come in as newcomers and then they they disappear, you know, a month or a couple of months later. It's like, oh, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, he went out and went on a week-long binge again and he's back to drinking again. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a guy in uh, in the program uh, named John, I won't mention his last name, but, uh, he recently passed away. He drank himself to death and and he was one of these guys, you know, he'd get six months of sobriety under his belt and then he'd go out and drink again for whatever reason. And then he'd come back into an AA meeting as a, as a newcomer, you know, and he'd have to, you know, introduce himself as a newcomer. Yeah, I went out and drank again. And then, you know, he'd be around for a while and then he'd disappear. And then you'd see him come back into the room again. And uh, sadly, you know, and he was a nice, nice guy. Um, But, you know, you could tell he was struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that it happened with you. I mean, you, you stopped. You went oh, I did. drinking and then you went back in. So oh, I did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have been going to AA since about 20, the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, 2019, early 2019, I got busy. I was teaching more classes up at the university. Um, and uh, the university is about an hour and a half from, from where we live. Um, so a lot of those were overnighters. I'd be away from home. I'd be teaching eight hour classes every day. And um, I wasn't going to AA meetings. I wasn't talking to my sponsor. And I just got, you know, too busy to um, work on my my daily sobriety. And that's where I got myself into trouble. 
Yeah. And I know a couple of people I've spoken with, I hear the phrase a lot, progress, not perfection. That's right. Um, and, and if you're moving ahead and you find it's not a, a, a final failure, you just get back in. Um, yeah. And and so that's the thing to keep in mind that you don't, you can't have such high expectations that, okay, now I'm good. I'm cured. I'm, I'm done. Um, mm-hmm. because it just doesn't work that way. You, you, as That's you right. said, it's a, it's a forever thing. Um, but one of the things I, I've also heard often, which I think is a wonderful aspect of this is when people who've gone through what you've gone through and they find the sobriety, stay clean, their lives, sometimes <laughs> opportunities come up and things change into paths they never expected to go to. And, and those paths may not have ever opened up uh, had they remained uh, with any sort of substance abuse, because that's more consuming. For example, um, and in your case, obviously, you not in a million years would have thought you'd have written a, a book, never mind two, um, and had a movie made about your experiences. And the whole point, by the way, of this book as you know, and I've written a book, it's not to make money, it's to get the message out. Yeah. In, in your Whoa. case, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yours has a message. Uh, and I yes. think with other police officers that can relate to the trauma you've been through and how you dealt with it, and, and maybe the police officers, not just police officers, anybody could learn and say, you know what, I this is me too. Uh, and, and gosh, if, if Keith came out of this, then maybe I can I can also, I'm not a failure. I, there is a way out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be miserable for the rest of your life. You know, there is a solution. There is a solution. And, and you know, my whole point for writing that first book was to convey to people who are struggling that there is a solution. And this is what it is. If it worked for me, it just may work for you too. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I, now you have a second book out and, and you want to give a quick 30 second recap about Gunrunner? Sure. Um, I was contacted by Mario Oliveira. Um, I didn't know him from Adam. <laughs> but had and, he read uh, your book. Is that how we found out about you? Uh, we have a mutual friend. It okay. was a, a gal that was a police officer in Southern California with me. Um, we worked together. She got injured on the job and medically retired. She moved back to Massachusetts uh, because her family is from Massachusetts. So when she got her medical retirement, she found herself involved in these different volunteer organizations. And that's how she met Mario. And Mario has a, an amazing story. He was looking for someone to write, write his book. Um, and she said, Hey, I have a guy. So, (laughs) so he reached out to me and and told me, Hey, you know, as a police officer, um, I was, you know, looking for this fugitive. I found him. Uh, I got shot six times while trying to take him into custody. I died on the operating table three times. I had this spiritual experience and, you know, and I'm, I'm living proof that, you know, um, there is a God, and uh, miracles still happen today. And then it uh, turns out his surgeon that operated on him had, he's a fascinating guy, Dr. David King. Um, he had 
an amazing story as well. Um, he sent me a video interview of, of the two of them. And I, you know, I wasn't interested in writing his story, to be honest with you, uh, because I was getting on a plane the next day to fly into West Virginia uh, to start the the filming of, of my film. Yeah. And I'm um, like, hey, I got this other project going. I don't have time to do anything else. And uh, but once I saw the video interview uh, of Dr. King and uh, and Mario, I thought, man, I got to be a part of this project. It's truly amazing. Truly, truly amazing. It I don't want to give give too much away, uh, but um, I told him I'd do it. And I'll write your story, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, it's great. I I loved it. I read it recently, and um, it it's a it's a phenomenal story. And you're right; it's so inspiring. And how can you not write that book? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and he yeah. did all the heavy lifting. Yeah. He's the, he's the one that went out and got shot six times. All uh, I had to do was write about it. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> well, you had the experience of of writing your story, and you know, I think about your story, your message, and there's a several things in there that I think are helpful to people. And that again, was your whole point to convey a message. And, and one of the bigger things too is, and we talked about it earlier, admitting that something's bothering you could be perceived as a weakness, but when you do admit it's, it's actually more courageous than a weakness to actually step up and say, there's something here that's bothering me that I am having trouble dealing with that actually shows more courage than weakness that's starting to change right it is it's starting to but we still have a long way to go yeah uh, some law enforcement agencies or you know public safety agencies police fire ems they're starting to embrace the whole mental resiliency concept and mm-hmm. and are developing programs or they're bringing contract trainers in to teach about resiliency um, but you know, uh, some agencies are still stuck in the stone age and, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of work to do because these critical incidents can happen anywhere. They can happen in Mayberry, USA, uh, Mayberry, USA, and they often do. Right. Right. And, and there's so many things now, and I don't know what, it's a whole different topic, but with the shootings and with all the the trauma that's occurring with people, their families are experiencing these shootings. It's, it's, it has an effect that's widespread now. And um, I, I, there's no easy answers. That's, that's, but that's true. Hopefully. You know, the general public, um, they may encounter one traumatic incident and they're, you know, it takes them out of the game for a while. It's mm. like, Oh, you know, this traumatic thing happened, and, you know, I saw someone die in a car crash or, or whatever, and it, it, it takes them out of their, their daily life. They check out for a little bit and they try, try to figure out how to process it. But imagine being a first responder and dealing with those things day in and day out, you know, uh, over a, a sustained period of time, it has long-term effects. Oh yeah. On the individual. Yeah. And, and too many times the cure to that is the, is the wrong path. Yeah. And the general public, you know, their, their mentality is uh, um, in many cases, well, that's what you signed up for. You knew, 
you knew about it when you, you know, hired onto the job or whatever. And it's like, well, no, I really didn't. I mean, I knew bad things happened and I'd have to deal with them, but I didn't know. You, know, you don't know how you're going to process these things until they actually occur. Right. In the beginning of our chat here, you had said when you were thinking about being a police officer, hey, this sounds like it'll be fun. I don't know if fun is the word you describe it after your 30 years of experience. <laughs> it, yeah. it was fun. You know, my, my career was full of ups and downs. It, yeah. it really was. Uh, you know, I was blessed in many ways. Uh, and, you know, I love the profession of law enforcement. It's a very honorable and much needed profession in society. Um, I, I loved truly the people that I worked with, um, but it's just those, those negative encounters, um, you know, the trauma, the death, you know, I, I saw and experienced so much death, trauma and grief. And although, you know, that's part of the job, um, you know, I, I, I honestly didn't have the skill set to to effectively deal with the trauma that I experienced. You know, well, now that, I understand that. But it but took a but while. honestly, Keith, who who has the skill set to deal with that in, in a cumulative way that that you've experienced? Uh, and it it'd be very hard to find someone who can handle that uneventfully without it affecting them. We're all human, and you know those types of things. And sometimes it gets hidden. Sometimes it tries to get covered up or you don't want to, as we said earlier, show the weakness or admit that this is having a hard time because it means you're, you're not that tough anymore. Or you're weak. Yeah. But um, I, I think it's a natural thing. And I think your, your speaking engagements and what you're trying to do is to, to, to talk about this more often. So people get helped preemptively, meaning before they take the wrong path. And even though you had your, your accident and you know you, a few people were injured but i think what you're doing now hopefully is is preventing a lot of those things from happening with other people exactly exactly i mean i i was aggrieved by my actions of, of may you know in 2019 uh, i never thought i'd be that guy not in a million years and the fact that my problems um, I forced my issues onto someone else, um, you know, because of my actions, you know, obviously there's a cause and effect. It's like my actions injured two people, you know, and sent them to the hospital. How dare me, mm. you know, and I, I, I spent three decades trying to curtail the behavior of people like me who went out and did what I did. So, when you're on the other side of honor, um, you know, that's, <laughs> it's pretty hard to, to accept yeah. and to wrap your head around it. So, you know, my whole approach to, to this thing was, man, I need to do better because what I've been doing before isn't working. I need to change everything. Mm -hmm. I need to change everything. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to alcoholism, you know, people, places and things need to change. Yeah. So I eliminated toxic relationships from my life, people that were no good for me. Um, you know, uh, 
I never really was a go to a bar and drink kind of guy. I was kind of like a go to the store and buy a bottle kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, can't do that anymore. Got to stop. Um, you know, I need to, I need to go do healthy things that are more conducive to good mental health and sobriety. So I started putting those things into practice and, um, you know, my thought process was I, I, I did harm to these people. They didn't deserve this. You know, how dare me? Um, therefore I need my life from this point on needs to be a living amends, not only to my family who were, you know, very concerned about me, my family and friends, but to these people that I injured, you know, right. I mean, I'm, I'm the bad guy. In that court case, I was the bad guy. I was the defendant. Usually, I was the case agent, you know, and I was the guy helping the prosecutor prosecute a case. Yeah. But yep. when you're on the other end, it's it's very different. So it's like, okay, I need to make it up to these people um, by being a living amends. I need to help and them. And it changed your life in a big way. It did. It changed my life for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's commendable that you're doing something about it ongoing. And he said for the rest of your life, you'll be um, moving forward with this. Um, well, again, I, I think if for all the listeners and the, the watchers, again, a reminder, I think um, Keith's book is very inspiring. Uh, and the book is called from sorrow to amazing grace, one cop's journey in the movie um, one cop's journey. And I think the movie follows the book pretty well i mean it it never does exactly but it follows enough right (laughs) yeah i guess you could say it's based on the book right but you know jason campbell took some creative liberties and you know there's stuff in the film that never happened in in real life but i think the point is the same um as well and also too it's hard to wrap up with years and years in an hour and a half (laughs) so yeah well in my case 65 minutes okay (laughs) yeah we had hours and hours of film and by the time it made it to the uh editor's block you know uh so much of that footage got chopped yeah yeah and that's normal um yeah uh well Keith, I know we could talk and and when we get on the phone, we usually do. We just talk and talk. (laughs) Um, We talk about our haircuts and our uh, our, our skin cancer issues. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We've both been through that. And I think, by the way, as as I see you with the the white goatee and the glasses and the shaved head, I'm just thinking as we go along here, if I can't make it, maybe you'd be a fantastic substitute. There you go. No one will ever know. (laughs) <laughs> no one will know no one will know <laughs> you look like my brother <laughs> well you know it, it is getting to be halloween time i i can disguise myself as mike tourville all right and vice versa yeah, yeah. hey if you need any book signings done i'll take your place gladly oh, i appreciate right? it yeah i don't make it to the east coast very often so if you can handle that for me that'd be great <laughs> no problem we'll help I'll each other <laughs> And I'll take care of the West Coast stuff for you on, you know, on your books. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Keith, it was great having you. Um, and everybody listening again, recommend uh, look up Keith. Keith Notech. It's spelled K-N-O-T-E-K. You can look that up on Google or or Amazon. Did I spell that right? 
Actually, you kind of blanked out a little bit. Your oh. internet seized up for just a second. Yeah, okay. K-N-O-T-E-K. K-N-O-T-E-K. And look up Keith, Keith Notek. Um, and I think you'll find some fascinating information about the, the book, One Cop's Journey, and the movie One Cop's Journey, and the book From Sorrow to Amazing Grace. And, and all you listeners, too, please uh, follow the website, follow our YouTube channel, Healing Voices Project. Um just go to the website and you'll see the interview with Keith um, and uh, several others. And we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, Keith. Again, I know you're a busy guy, so your time is much appreciated. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much. All right. We will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right. All right see you.